リンゴを食べると医者が青くなるこんにちはバークレーサイエンスグロックの時間がやってまいりました Good afternoon、uh, You are listening to Radio Barclay Science Clocks Good afternoon. I'm Franklin, and this is the Berkeley Rock Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show Parkinson's, Chimps, and LSD. And joining us this week are Professor Julian Tang and Sophia Yan to talk about the World Health Organization and Taiwan. In addition, you can find out what gram positive bacteria are. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world famous question of the week. Right here on Berkeley Groks. Rocks. I'm Frank Lynn. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? <laughs> kind of tripped out, man. Tripped out? <laughs> yeah. Been on long trips, huh?、Uh, that too, but、uh, <laughs> it's also the h a n d l e s birthday of Albert Hoffman. Albert Hoffman, oh, yes,、uh, the famed founder of LSD. <laughs> yes, also known as Lysergic Acid Diethylamide. Yes. <laughs> there's, a, there's kind of a prank that was going around, or at least a,、uh, a spoof around, that you could make LSD from Foster's beer. Well, you know, all you need is、uh, some <laughs> ergot. grains, right? Yeah. Ergot. Ergot, I think, is the starting material. Uh huh. Yeah. The original investigation for ergot and deriving chemicals from it was to、um, create. Possible medicines for treating migraines and post、uh, childbirth、uh, bleeding. And it was by accident one day,、um, sometime in 1943, that he unintentionally、um, was exposed to the LSD. Right. I, th- I think actually he,、uh, they created the compound initially and saw that it didn't have the effects they desired, put it on the shelf,、right. and then he went back to it for some reason. Uh huh. He says he was fascinated by the chemical structure of LSD. That's how he maintained his curiosity in it. Okay. So he, he felt this very bizarre sensation, and then after a few days, he tried to have a control experiment where he took 150 micrograms to see what would happen. He, apparently, that was the,、uh, the world's first bad LSD trip. <laughs> it was all day a hallucination, a metallic taste in his mouth, out of body sensations. And,、uh, but after, after a day, he was okay again, and、uh, everything、uh, for him glistened and sparkled like a fresh light. I feel like that. On trips to Texas. Mmm. <laughs> it must be the 64 ounce prime rib, right? Yeah, well, it's the,、uh, it's the uh, Bush Ranch, I think. Ah, good stuff, you know. Yeah. So, anyways,、uh, this is certainly a,、uh, a milestone in chemistry that.、Uh, <laughs> Actually, a lot of artists and、uh, creative people appreciate. I think they, they do. And,、uh, you know, book your trip now. I think it's available on Travelocity or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Orbits. Uh-huh.、Uh, among, among the people who、uh, have known,、uh, who claim to have profound、um, influence from LSD,、uh, Aldous Huxley、mm-hmm. and Ernst Younger. Okay. It is a brave new world. <laughs> Hoffman、uh, is still 100 and、uh, kicking it. So apparently, it's also good for longevity. Yeah.、Uh, Apparently so. He only regrets that governments are not as open minded so that you can have regulated use of, use of the LSD. In fact,、uh, I think a lot of places it's completely banned right now. Yeah, well, you know, if you at least 
legalize it, you can uh, tax it. So anyways, uh, this is a celebration for uh, this year. Well, I wonder if chimpanzees would enjoy going on that trip. I kind of wonder. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting to see what kind of animal experiments they've done with LSD. <laughs> I'm not sure if it has the same effect. I wonder if the uh, receptors are the same and everything. That's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they do a lot of tobacco studies with them but as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, it's been a question, of course, whether chimps are altruistic. Chimps are altruistic? Yes. Wow, you mean they care? Uh, well, not often, but uh, it looks like uh, they do care in certain situations. Okay. Uh, so a big question was whether or not uh, chimps can help or cooperate when they really have nothing to gain by the process. Mm-hmm. And uh, researchers for some, quite some time I thought no, because when they see chimps uh, looking at other chimps in pain or whatever, they don't tend to help. Right. Uh, but researchers now have, uh, created, have done a few experiments. Uh, these are psycho- comparative psychologists Michael Tomasello and Felix Warnecken at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Germany. Uh-huh. Uh, they had a caretaker drop keys on the ground clearly while trying to perform a task, and the chimps would come by and pick up the keys and give it back to the caretaker. So, very sweet of them. Yes, it is, I guess. And so, uh, they say that this proves that chimps have some sort of sense of other people's distress and uh, will uh, go about trying to help them. Well, so that means it's impossible for them to start nuclear war, right? <laughs> well, for that, all you need to do is push a button. So. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so it's it's kind of interesting work, and uh, but yet these chimps don't even uh, hold a candle to human infants who respond about twice as quickly in the same situation mm-hmm. and are able to grasp even more complicated uh, scenarios than just this dropping a key thing. Mm. Uh, but still, they're just chimps. Fascinating work. It's published in a recent edition of Science. So, Charles, are you private? Are you proud to be a male? Uh, I, I guess. So you have the SRY gene, right? Uh, I haven't checked recently, but <laughs> maybe I do. Yeah. So I guess if your SRY gene is functioning well, that means you don't have to worry about Parkinson's. Oh, that's actually a good thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but so females don't have the SRY gene? Uh, well, the SRY gene is responsible for causing embryos to turn into males. Oh, okay. So it's known that uh, there's a higher prevalence of Parkinson's among the male population, and uh, one of the interesting findings recently is that this very same SRY gene seems that when it's expressed in neurons, they release um, a tyrosine hydroxylase, which is necessary for the production of dopamine. Mm-hmm, right. And so for people who have reduced expression of SRY, right. they have a higher tendency of uh, Parkinson's. Right, the less amounts of dopamine. and Oh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, so uh, presumably... Uh, they can screen for this gene and perhaps identify people who might be at risk for Parkinson's gene. Well, identify Par- people who have uh, less of it yeah. and perhaps somehow amplify the, the production right. or the right. expression of the SRY gene. Right. Or just give them dopamine <laughs> as compensation. <laughs> That's only a temporary solution, right? Yeah, right, right. But, but um, how long do you expect to live anyway? <laughs> you know, just a couple hundred. Right. Uh, anyway, so there's hope, at least for the guys now, who have uh, Parkinson's. Uh, and for the females, does a similar situation exist? Uh, they haven't found out, but at least this elucidates the um, uh, the uh, phenomenon that the, there's a higher ratio of males who have Parkinson's than females. Cool. Uh, and if anyone's interested, they can read a recent edition of Current Biology. Okay, and finally, uh, having nothing to do with Parkinson's, but more, I guess, uh, on the line of uh, the animal stories that I have. (laughs) 
Wow, the hummingbird. carnival of the animals. Right, and the hummingbirds, hummingbirds, hummingbirds. Mm-mm-mm. They, uh, they're bite-sized, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, you eat them reg- regularly? Well, you know, they just fly into my mouth, and sometimes, you know, it's just kind of too late once you realize it's you, gone down your Well, as, if it's in your mouth, might as well swallow, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, so it w- uh, researchers now have uh, st- been studying hummingbirds as far as their memories and their recollection. Uh-huh. And, uh, so it's, it's known that uh, a lot of birds have a good recollection of where items are. Right. But it's not known whether they have a good sense of time and when things occur. Hmm. And so researchers have been studying this in the hummingbird. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a team led by a biologist, um, Jonathan Henderson and Susan Healy of the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. And they checked these hummingbirds' uh, recollection of various flowers and uh, how quickly they would visit each of these fake flowers that they'd set up. Oh. So it turns out that uh, they, they ha- they're able to recognize when these flowers, uh, how quickly these flowers become uh, depleted of the nectar uh-huh. that they have to suck out. Uh-huh. And uh, they wondered if the uh, uh, hummingbirds were able to keep track of this. Hmm. And so they monitored the behaviors of the hummingbirds as they visited all these different sites right. and showed that they visited each of the uh, uh, flowers uh, almost as soon as the uh, flower had been refilled with nectar, showing that they were able to keep track of time and when and where uh, each of the flowers that they visited were. Wow. If only I can remember uh, what's in the fridge every time I went back to re- <laughs> revisit it. Does it magically refill with uh, <laughs> items? <laughs> Actually, I've been starving for the last few days. Oh, okay. Well, you might have, yeah, you might have a competitor that's depleting your fridge then. Mm, a phantom roommate, perhaps. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> uh, so this is fascinating work, and uh, it shows, I guess, an expanded repertoire for the memories of these hummingbirds. And these are results that appeared in the March 7th issue of Current Biology. And that is all for a look at current developments in the world of science and technology this week. This is Berkeley Grouch listening to here on 90.7 FM. KALX. In a few moments, Dr. Julian Tang and Sophia Yen talk about Taiwan's participation in the WHO. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Grocks. Well, according to the mission statement of the World Health Organization, or WHO, the objective is the attainment by all people of the highest possible level of health, health being defined as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. 
While it may be self-evident that participation in this organization should not be based on social, economic, ethnic, or political status, the Island Republic of Taiwan has been excluded because the WHO is chartered by the United Nations, which does not recognize the island's statehood. Nevertheless, Taiwan has sought to gain observer status in the WHO, but has been excluded from the agenda due to pressure from mainland China. While joining us to talk about Taiwan's continuing efforts to join the organization are Dr. Julian Tang, anesthesiologist from UC San Francisco, and Dr. Sophia Yen, a researcher in pediatrics here in the Bay Area. Dr. Tang, Dr. Yen, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So according to the WHO website, uh, there are different levels of membership, uh, member, associate member, and observer status. Um, could you perhaps tell us the difference uh, between them? If you wanted to join the WHO as a member, which we cannot join because uh, we are not a member of the UN. And of course, if we try to uh, fight for that and try to say, well, why don't we uh, join the UN? And then we will be automatically be the member of the WHO. And you know it's impossible because Chinese government can always uh, use their veto power to uh, uh, stop us to get into the UN. And because of their veto power, so I think that route to uh, apply for the WHO is almost impossible. If the membership is impossible, then we think about the associate membership. But associate membership needs to be applied by the member. And uh, we are not a member, so we practically cannot get any uh, application for the associate unless the Chinese government apply for, for us, which we don't want to be because uh, we are not part of China. Then we left it with only observer membership. Mm. The observer membership will be the one, uh, I think, currently they have like around four um, non-government organizations. They have been accepted because, uh, uh, according to your statement about the, uh, the mission from the WHO, they need to cover all the uh, people uh, who live in this uh, planet. And they basically invite them to be the uh, observer. And they can also uh, benefit WHO's uh, health network, mm-hmm. and they can uh, help them to improve their uh, health system. And since uh, that's the easiest way to get in, so we try to apply for that. However, we met some resistance because uh, uh, you must apply and then uh, put on the WHA agenda. Then you have to vote, and the vote requires half of the uh, regular members. And currently, the entire member, member has 192 countries. So that means we need around uh, 96 votes. And uh, I believe in 2003 or 2004, we only got 25 uh, votes. So we're still way, way behind the 96 votes. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the Chinese government, they just try to uh, persuade other countries not to support us. And they always mention about, well, you really don't need to bring Taiwan to be the observer because uh, they can actually, uh, you know, sort of take care of us or help us in terms of the uh, health problems, especially now we have the SARS and now it's the uh, avian flu. But they all, uh, it's a big lie because uh, they just cannot take care of, if they cannot take care of themselves, how can they take care of uh, Taiwan? And besides, we're not even part of China. So because of all this political reason, and a lot of countries, they basically declined to uh, vote for us. So for us to uh, 
be the observer. Even though there's a chance for us to get into it, but still, though, we have a long way to go. We still need to persuade some other country to support us. And that's probably the, our current status. Because mm -hmm. we just have to continue doing it, and that's the reason we do it every year, and we try to uh, uh, talk to other countries and other friends, other uh, colleagues, to help us out. And why now? Why is it more critical now than ever for the island to join uh, the WHO? Well, I think that 23 million people of Taiwan is a greater population than 75% of the members of the World Health Organization. So to exclude 23 million people from participating in the World Health Organization in terms of getting uh, information from the World Health Organization for epidemics or you know, catastrophes such as avian bird flu or SARS would be dangerous to the health of the entire world because of our um, inter-country commerce that occurs between the United States and Taiwan, between Taiwan and all of its neighboring countries. Taiwan has one of the biggest economies in the world, and because of that, the people from Taiwan are commuting to all these other countries as well as um, visiting other countries. And if they aren't under the guise of the WHO for epidemic control or infection control, then they can infect the entire world fast and in a dangerous manner. So to exclude Taiwan, which is right next to China, which is a great source of SARS, and avian bird flu is to expose the rest of the world to SARS and avian bird flu. During the 2003 SARS epidemic, China initially denied that an outbreak had occurred, leading to a delay in healthcare being administered. Presumably, if they had come clean from the beginning, more lives would have been saved. Uh, what were some of the international consequences, and uh, especially to Taiwan, uh, what lessons have we learned here? Okay, I think uh, there are two important uh, aspect on that uh, incident. One will be like you just mentioned about since we are not part of the uh, health uh, network, so all the immediate information, all the alerts, we are not able to get it in the timely fashion. And same, so we lost that opportunity to uh, save some uh, civilians' lives. That's one thing. The second thing is, I think the whole world needs to re realize if Taiwan cannot really uh, put off some of the uh, uh, infectious diseases, and then if you think about the, the travel, all the uh, uh, transportation, all the peoples uh, uh, frequently visiting different countries, and then, and then if you think about that way, you know, because now the, the airplane is so available, you can go anywhere you want, if Taiwan cannot be part of the uh, network, then how can the rest of the world to stop this pandemic uh, diseases? You know, I think the, the rest of the world needs to think about you can't just do something by themselves and then you still have one spot. They still can have potentially continuously uh, spreading the disease. So I think there's two things. One is we may lost our Taiwanese life. The second thing is the disease may end up being uh, carried by Taiwanese and travel to other places. And as you recall, uh, during the SARS uh, uh, period, there was one, uh, uh, either one or several uh, Taiwanese people, they 
uh, travel to Japan, and then the Japanese government they started to get very alert about you know, either stopping those people or they will have some uh, examination or uh, quarantine for those uh, Taiwanese travelers in uh, Japanese airport. You know, there's a lot of things it doesn't need to be happening if Taiwan is part of network. Then the Japanese travel to America, American travel to uh, Europe, everybody will now we're safe. So you really cannot do things like this. And then that's also against the WHO's mission. Well, I think what we've learned from um, the previous epidemic is that China is not telling us everything. China is a communist country. Taiwan is a democratic country. Taiwan has a much better level of health, has far more health knowledge, has far more experience in communicating with others as well as educating their populace, as well as containing infections. Taiwan did its own little exercises in preparation of if there was an epidemic. And although Taiwan, I don't think, contributed to the previous epidemic, it certainly could if we keep withholding it from participation from the WHO. So I think basically we've learned that China cannot be trusted. And if we want to protect ourselves and the rest of the world, we have to have as much participation from as many people as possible to contain the epidemics that could arise. And what has the U.S. government done to uh, promote Taiwan's participation in the WHO, or what, what kind of assistance have they provided? The U.S. government and, of course, uh, our uh, uh, ally or our friend country, uh, Japan, they all been helping us. And uh, to tell the truth, uh, the U.S. government has been a, a strong supporter for us to get into the WHO, they actually, there's a, a public law that's been uh, passed, and the U.S. Secretary needs to uh, listen to the report every year, and then they need to uh, reassure that uh, the U.S. government supporting uh, uh, Taiwan's uh, petition uh, for uh, observer uh, membership. And if you look back in the uh, SARS uh, period, uh, even though the, uh, the WHO our network wasn't able to visit Taiwan and set up a branch office in Taiwan to uh, 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 stop the uh, SARS spreading. The CDC from the U.S. government actually helping us in Taiwan and to, to uh, uh, control the uh, SARS spread and then also offer some uh, update or uh, most advanced uh, technology to help our Taiwanese uh, medical system. So I think the U.S. Uh, by far, they've been helping us a lot, and uh, we are um, continuing lobbying in the Senate and try to ask the uh, uh, U.S. government to continue to help us out. However, as you know, if you uh, uh, submit the application for the observer uh, membership, the U.S. government is only one vote. We mm -hmm. need more countries like U.S. government or the Japanese government to help us out. So we not just try to focus on the U.S., even though we know the U.S. government is helping us, we continue doing so. However, we also need to uh, spend our time and effort to other countries and try to uh, duplicate the effort, the success we have, so we'll get more votes, and then we can uh, 
uh, achieved that uh, 96 votes in the uh, uh, WHA and for us to get into the observer membership. And with us right now is uh, Dr. Daniel Shi, who's leading one of the delegations to uh, represent uh, Taiwan at the uh, assembly next week. Uh, Dr. Shi, what exactly uh, are you planning to do? We really want to, to WHO to know our voice, so I represent Taiwanese-Americans to attend this meeting. All over the country, around 120 physicians and spouse going to attend uh, you know, this, uh, this mission. And what we are going to do, we, we put together, we, even with other concerned groups from uh, Taiwan, United States, Australia, Europe, the other parts of the world, in holding peaceful demonstrations, educate the public on this important issue through the use of informational brochures, announcements, signs, and banners. We will also attend the World Health Assembly hearings, and as much as possible, we will meet with WHO delegates from different nations to offer our insight as physicians and healthcare providers. Well, I certainly wish you luck, Dr. Xi, and this was Daniel Xi, uh, president of the North American Taiwan Medical Association. This is obviously clear that it's in the best interest of the international community for Taiwan to uh, participate, uh, at least as an observer in the WHO. Um, but what should it be in China's interest for Taiwan to join as well? I think that it's in the interest of anyone who doesn't want the spread of disease. And China certainly doesn't want Taiwan infecting China. And um, China also doesn't want to be the source and the person that's blamed for holding um, Taiwan from getting this valuable infection control that would then result in a world epidemic. I think if mm -hmm. there was a world epidemic and most of it was traced to Taiwan and most of it was traced to the fact that China is the main reason that Taiwan is not being allowed into the WHO, and people are dying, the people to blame would be China. And finally, I want to ask you, uh, there have been reports that uh, journalists from Taiwan are not allowed to cover uh, this year's uh, World Health Assembly meeting. Um, do you have any comments on um, why they may be barred? I can't understand why they would be barred as long as they're not disruptive and shouting any crazy questions. I would hope that in the spirit of freedom of press and sharing all knowledge that no one would be censored from covering the WHO's uh, assembly this year, and particularly 23 million people, which is greater than 75% of the WHO's other state memberships, should not be denied access to information as to what's going on at this World Health Assembly, especially if they are going to discuss the issue of Taiwan. It seems very secretive and covert, and I would hope that the WHO would be an open society. Well, I guess we are running a little bit out of time here. Uh, Dr. Tang, Dr. Yen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for covering this very important issue. Pleasure. And we were just talking to Dr. Julian Tang from UC San Francisco and Dr. Sophia Yen, pediatrician here in the Bay Area, on Taiwan's efforts to gain observer status in the World Health Organization. And for those concerned supporters out there, uh, you can contact your congressmen or your leaders to voice your support. 
This is Berkeley Glock you're listening to here on 90.7 FM, KALX. In a few moments, we'll find out what a gram-positive bacteria is, so stay tuned. Hey, how you doing? It's Joe Upman, motivational speaker. You know what? You guys love to be positive, don't you? Even the gram-positive bacteria, they're positive guys. Well, what makes them so positive? Peptidoglycan. That's what stains so positively. You guys, be positive. And for us here with this week's question of the week, you know, down here in the South, we all take it easy and simple. Everything's straightforward. But sometimes things are not. Lock by refringence. I can never figure out what that is. If you think you know what it is, or just know what it is, you can email us here at Grox. You won't win anything, but you have more choices. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.